check, check one, and we are in business here. Matthew chapter 11, we're going to read verses 28 to 30. And this is Jesus talking. Jesus is talking here to the Pharisees. It was basically, the Pharisees were a group of religious leaders uh, during the time that he was on the earth. And he says to them and to the disciples, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You'll see as we get further along in our sermon the connection between those verses and the vice of sloth. But first I want to start with a small little story about a young boy. He was a cute little boy. And he was playing in the parking lot of his hotel in Orlando. And he found many delights in this parking lot. It was a parking lot that hadn't been repaired in a while, and so it had a lot of cracks in it. And he was very interested in those cracks in the parking lot, and he would play games, and he would try to jump over and make sure he didn't touch the crack, because what happens when you touch the crack? You break your mother's back. And of course, he didn't want to do that, because he was a good little boy too, good looking and good. So he's jumping over all of these cracks, and he's also discovering the delight that what happens when asphalt breaks in a parking lot, there's always a little bit of grass that tends to pop up through there, and sometimes even weeds. And you know what? There are weeds that are actually fairly beautiful. They almost look like flowers. And he was going around, hopping over the cracks, picking the little weeds, and having an absolutely joyous time. His mother came up to him and said, Little son... It's time to go. Get in the car. We're going to the beach and then Disney World. And he said, I don't want to leave. You ever had this experience as a parent? (laughs) Your kid is doing something somewhat enjoyable at the time. I don't want to leave. Don't make me leave. And that's what the little boy was screaming. And his mother was coming up to him and saying, Honey, we are going to the beach We are going to see the waves crashing. You're going to get to play in the sand. Then we're going to go to Disney World and we're going to ride rides. And we're going to see all the characters and it's going to be glorious. And he's like, no. I want to stay here in the parking lot with the cracks. Y'all, that's us. That's us. Here's how C.S. Lewis puts it. He describes sloth well with a quote. One of my favorite authors, he was big in the mid-20th century, wrote a lot of Christian uh, books and articles. And he says, It would seem that our Lord, that is Jesus, finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, Because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. That's sloth. I don't know if you remember me talking about sloth as we were in the book of Genesis. 
We mentioned sloth when we looked at the wife of Lot. God had set angels to rescue Lot, who was Abraham's brother, if you remember, from the story, or nephew, I should say, from the story. And they were escaping Sodom and Gomorrah because it was being destroyed. And as they were escaping, these angels, the angels had Lot, and they had Lot's wife and his kids by the hand, and they were dragging them out of this town that was about to be destroyed, maybe something like the wildfires that just hit in California. Come, get out now. Do not dally. Do not return to your home for anything. You've got to get in your car, and you've got to drive, drive, drive. But of course, Lot's wife says this, I don't want to leave. Now, the Bible depicts that as her turning around. But when the Bible says Lot's wife turned around and looked back, it really means that she went back. And because of that, the Bible says she turned into a pillar of salt. Now, again, that is figurative language. Basically, she went back to get her stuff and burned up. That's, it's, they haven't even identified most of the bodies that are in the cars that got burned up in California because it's impossible. It turns to something akin to a pile of salt. That is the battle cry of sloth. I don't want to leave. Even though God is willing to rescue me, even though Jesus says to me, come, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest, we say, no, I don't want to leave. These cracks in the asphalt are just fine, God. Let me give you one more example that helps us understand a little bit of um, sloth. It does mean laziness on one level. It means busyness on another level, but it does mean laziness. And let me give you uh, an example of that. From We read it earlier, but it's from Proverbs. And it says this. And it's the battle cry of the lazy person. I don't want to leave. Proverbs puts it this way. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the streets. I shall be slain. I'm going to lay here in bed. (laughs) Basically, I'm going to make up excuses for why I can't do that or can't go out and leave because I don't want to leave. Now, there are false reasons. He's making up the lion in the street. But again, it's what sloth does in the human heart. Now, the Pharisees are an incredibly wonderful example of sloth in the Bible. They were the religious teachers of the day when Jesus was on the earth, and they are slothful. Now, here's what's interesting. They weren't lazy, okay? But when Jesus says to them, both in our passage this morning, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Jesus gave them invitation after invitation. Follow me. Repent and believe. The kingdom of God is at hand. And all the Pharisees could ever say to Jesus was, we don't want to leave. We will not stop with our rules. We will not come to you, Jesus. We will not do what you are offering. We will not accept what you give. Because we are comfortable in the ways that we have set up for ourselves. That is what sloth says in the heart of the human. I don't want to leave. We're going to look at it in three ways today as we dive into this passage. Both the passage and the vice of sloth. Jesus says, number one, Jesus says, come to me. Sloth says, I don't want to leave my efforts at self-preservation. 
That's number one. Number two, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Sloth says, I don't want to leave my own yoke. I'll explain what yoke means as we get further in the passage. Jesus says, follow me. And sloth says, I don't want to leave my old sin nature. Sloth is fighting us being transformed into the likeness of Jesus at every turn. It has got all of us in its grip to some degree. So let's look at this first one. Jesus says, come to me. Sloth says, I don't want to lead the life of self-preservation that I have made for myself. It's this idea of half-commitment. You know, it's, it's, it's that, yes, Jesus says, come to me to find life. But you know what? I've got a lot of things in my life I don't want to give up for Jesus. There's a lot of things that just make me very comfortable that I, I cannot possibly offer to him in sacrifice. In a nutshell, to be slothful is to be opposed to the joy we should have over being united with God and committed to him in love. Sloth says, I'm going to half commit, I'm going to hold on to my selfish ways, and I'm going to attempt to live a lie. That is sloth. Now, it's, it's strange, because it seems like everyone would accept Jesus' offer here. He says, come to me, all you who are, are, are laden down with burdens. All you who feel like you are just crunched under with a baggage all over your shoulders. It, it, and it seems logical that someone who's feeling weary and burdened would want help from that burden. Correct? So it seemed like everyone would just be like, okay, I'll come with you, Jesus. I'll follow you. I'll follow your ways. I'll follow your teachings. But that is not, that is not how it happens for most people. <laughs> the reality is sin is still at work in our hearts, pulling us away from Jesus and away from obedience to him. We say, you know what? I'm going to pick my own route. I'm going to try to stay somewhat selfish, but also put on a show that I'm following Jesus and see if I can pull off living a lie. We all do this to some degree, y'all. I am definitely guilty of this at times. It's like, you know what? It's, like, it's kind of like a marriage almost um, because it's a battle that's waged in our hearts. And we were made for relationship with God. But if we're slothful, we have chosen to reject that relationship as the way to find fulfillment and chosen to try to make something else do its work instead. We're trying to make ourselves content with being less than we really are. Uh, you know, kind of like marriage, where if you're like, I'm going to see if I can be selfish and please my spouse. You ever tried this if you're married? It does not work out very well, generally speaking. Because when, if you want a relationship to really flourish, and this is what Jesus is talking about with, with a human being's relationship with himself, you've got to go all in. <laughs> it's got to be commitment. It's got to be, yep, 100% for you. Because what happens when that doesn't take place? Sloth, as it comes into our lives, lives, it leads to a life of lies. Now, this is really well illustrated in a movie called Groundhog Day. Anybody ever seen Groundhog Day? So, it's this character, I think his name's Phil, Phil Connor. He ends up in this story, this movie, He ends up waking up at the same time every day, and he ends up repeating the day over and over, February 2nd, which is known as Groundhog Day. Uh, He's in Puxatawney, uh, Pennsylvania, 
which is where, you know, Punk's Tommy Phil comes out of the ground, the little gopher. And he relives this day over and over. And he decides, this is incredible. <laughs> what a gift I've been given. I can go and basically do whatever I want, and there's no consequences. So he, you know, he lives it up. He's like, I'm going to party hard. I'm going to eat whatever I want. And his coworkers are like, don't you worry about your cholesterol? Don't you worry about what this is going to do to your body? Or don't you worry about how you're doing? He's like, nope. <laughs> I'm going to wake up tomorrow, and I'm going to repeat the same cycle every time. It's the same day he lives over and over and over again. Now, he also decides, I am going to seduce my coworker. I'm going to try to get my coworker to be with me. I'll just use that to kind of help for the kids in the room. Uh, I'm going to get my coworker to be with me, uh, to know me. Let's put it that way. And so he decides he, he's going to memorize everything he can about this woman. So he memorizes that she likes French poetry, and he gets some French poetry in his back pocket, and he kind of sees what kind of flowers she's like, she likes, what restaurant she wants to go to. He figures out all these things about her while still remaining fully selfish and tricks her <laughs> into thinking that he loves her, but really he's just memorized facts about her and is regurgitating them back to her. And so she eventually catches on to his ruse. At first she is sucked in fully, right? And she wants to be with him. But then she sees through it. She sees that it's, that it's a bunch of lies. That he isn't really committing to her. He's just trying to get something from her. And she says, you know what? You'll never be able to love anyone but yourself. And he says, and here is the burden that Jesus is talking about in this passage. He says to her, you know what? That's not true. I don't even like myself. Catch that. I don't even like myself. Someone who has decided I'm going to sort of half commit to the people in my life. I'm going to half commit to Jesus. Living this lie is actually quite a burden. It's actually really difficult. And it will actually lead you to the point of despair. And that's what he's feeling in this moment. He's saying, ugh, you know what? I don't even like myself. How could I possibly, you know, you're saying I could never love anyone else. Well, it's true. If we don't like ourselves, we can't love anyone else either. And I'm going to unpack that a, slight, a little bit more later. But the reality is, when you live the lie, you have to constantly be covering. And when you're constantly covering, it is exhausting. Anybody who's ever, and you, you don't have to give me any specific examples, but anybody who's ever, when you were younger, of course you wouldn't do it now, uh, but when you were younger, you know, maybe you were, caught in a lie. I remember one from my childhood. Me and a buddy decided it would be really funny to uh, take some things, to shoplift from Walmart. Terrible idea. Never do this, kids. Learn from your pastor. (laughs) So we took little trinkets and we got away with it. And we would get away with little bigger things and we'd sneak it out of the store and just thought we were the coolest thing. Basically, we were just bored. We had plenty of money to buy the things at the store. We just wanted something fun and crazy to do. So eventually, you know, I think at the point, the point we were at, we had gotten behind the little glass chambers, the glass desks where they had the jewelry, and we were getting cologne. Because, yeah, who doesn't want expensive cologne? So we were walking outside one day. We had our cologne, you know, tucked away in our clothing. And, this, and then we feel... Two hands grab both of the back of our arms and begin to drag us back into the store. We're like, oh, no. It was, a, you know, they have these like plain clothes people who walk around in the store and are catching people shoplifting. It wasn't a police officer or anything like that. But he pulls us back into the store. We get taken to this back room question. And they're like, look, 
we know, we know you didn't steal very much here, but we try to um, make people feel the pain of shoplifting. So we've called the cops and they're coming to pick you up. So sure enough, the cops come, pick us up, put us in a, you know, a back of a police car and are taken down to the station, get fingerprinted, the whole shebang. It was a misdemeanor. But we were 18. So here's where the lie builds, y'all. We were 18, so we didn't have to tell our parents. And obviously, I'm not planning to tell my parents about this. So he doesn't tell his parents. I don't tell my parents. And, then on, and, and the lie begins to build. So on the weekends that we have to do community service, we tell our parents we're going out to go fishing or going to go hiking or some, make something up where we're going to be out of town. And then we go and do our community service on those days. Well, eventually, you know, my life is just one fat ball of stress. I knew, and this is just a very specific example of feeling this burden that Jesus is talking about. I couldn't sleep. It was hard for me to eat. I just was so stressed about the ball of lies that I had built around this. Instead of just coming out and confessing it and clearing my chest and getting some freedom, I had... I had taken on this burden that Jesus is talking about and was weighed down. Finally, eventually, my buddy's mom found a receipt for the community service in the pocket of one of his pair of pants when she was doing laundry. My mom, you know, of course, calls me into my room at some point and says, okay, I heard from David's mom today. And I was like, and this is going to go poorly. And it did. And I had to own up. But y'all, the point of that illustration is this. The burden of sloth that Jesus is talking about, it eventually takes its full toll and we feel that doing life and love from a false place isn't worth, any, isn't worth doing in anymore. It leads truly to despair. You know, the protagonist in this movie, Phil Connor, eventually, when he gets found out by this girl he's trying to seduce, and all his schemes kind of fall apart, he ends up sitting on a couch drinking whiskey and eating potato chips. And then he tries to commit suicide a couple of times. And it is a perfect illustration for what Jesus is talking about in this passage. Despair is the end goal of living the lie. It's the, end, it's the end point, I should say, of living the life. The slothful person gets weary of the game and eventually wants to give up, either in suicide or total abandonment of the people they love. You may have experienced this in your own life. You may have someone in your own life that we call it estranged in a family, right? Someone who just walks away because they can't do it anymore. They can't, quote, live the lie. You may have even heard that term used before. It's sad, y'all. And this is what sloth wants of us. Sloth wants total abandonment of the people around us. Sloth wants us to get completely wrapped up in our cocoon of selfishness and just live there and wallow there. And it is miserable. Hence, Jesus Christ coming and saying, come to me. Come to me. I am the solution, is what Jesus says. All you who are weary and heavy laden with the living a lie, I will give you rest. I will give you the thing your heart longs for more than anything else. Come to me. Come to me. Sloth, though, what does sloth say? I don't want to leave my life of selfishness. Number two, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Take my, you know what a yoke is, kiddos? 
What's a yoke? Animals use them. Anybody seen one before? I know we live in modern times. We don't see these very often. But What's a yoke? Hunter? No, you don't know? It's this thing that they put on like oxen or horses or mules, and it fits around the neck of the animal, and there's always two or more of them, and so then it gets put over the animal next to them, and when they're riding in some sort of a cart behind the two mules or behind the two horses or whatever is in front of them, this yoke holds them together. So Jesus is saying, put on my yoke. Put on my yoke, and don't put on your own. Now, what does it mean to put on our own yoke? Well, here's what Jesus is talking about. What do you follow to find favor? What do you follow to find favor with God or with others? See, he was speaking to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees had created this incredibly elaborate system of rules. There were almost 670 different ones that they followed. You, could, you had to wash your hands a certain way before you ate a meal. You, couldn't, you had to walk a certain distance on each day. And on the Sabbath especially, you only had a certain number of steps you could take. And it was oppressive. It was miserable. But it was the way that they were going to try to find favor with other people and with God. They wanted to look good. Now, we don't have the same type of rule systems that the Pharisees had. But we still have things that we follow to find favor. You know, it's that thing in your life that you're, you're going, I'm okay if I have X, Y, Z. I'm okay. I, I, I feel good about myself. I feel good about... Now, I, I picked a couple in America today just for us to chew on um, because yokes are, again, they're, they're, they're something that weigh you down. They're burdens, right? You're, you're, you're strapped to them. You're attached to this other animal, this other thing. Um, And Jesus, when he was talking to the Pharisees, he said this, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. A couple of yokes that I came up with as I was chewing on this passage was buying stuff. I think that's a yoke that we can all relate to today, right? We buy stuff, many things, not everything, but many of the things that we want, we buy because we want other people to, we want to find favor with other people, right? We buy the right clothes so that we can get people's favor upon us. We buy the right house, we buy the right car, whatever. We've got all these different things you can buy to find favor from other people. Another thing I thought about that we do today, if we want to make ourselves feel okay, is we take a certain political stance. This, again, is to find favor. Now, you may not find favor with everyone, but you can at least get everyone in your camp favoring you if you take certain political stances, right? It's, it's I am going to be okay because I have this stance on this issue. Now, all of these things weigh us down. They weigh us down. If we're trying to find favor in anything besides Jesus Christ, it always feels like a burden because it's, it never fits right. It's like a yoke that is totally shaped in the wrong direction and in the wrong way to fit around a human being's neck, and it is just painful. Okay. If your yoke is anything but the person and the teaching of Jesus, sloth wants you there. Because it's what you're going to use to avoid real love. Because sloth, as Jesus talked about when he was talking to these Pharisees, will not lift a finger to actually love someone. Think about someone who's super busy making big money, this buying things idea. 
They're working in their lives to the nub to get all the stuff, to get ahead, to get comfortable, to get set. But now there is no time left in their life, right? This is this part about sloth that I mentioned, busyness. I'm so busy that I don't actually have time to love another human being, especially human beings around me that might have real needs. Real needs. One of the things our church talks about. We're, we're real people and real community, real, real needs. But if you're caught up in the cycle of finding favor with others or with God by buying stuff, you are not going to be able to actually meet the real needs of the people around you. It's going to be some level of facade because of the busyness that there's no time left. Okay, also, think about the well-informed, the power of knowledge. You know, you could say I'm well-read and filled with the truth, and I am able to, because of I'm so well-read, I can spew the truth about anything. I can spew the truth about what's wrong with this country. I can spew the truth about what's wrong with this or that church. I can spew what's wrong with this or that person, what's wrong with this or that type of kid or race or type of school. I can spew it all. But to actually lift a finger and help those people that I spew on, forget it. This is what Jesus was talking about with the Pharisees. He's like, you have all your rules. You have all these things you're telling people they need to do to be okay. 670 of them. But you will not lift a finger to actually love and help those same people. You just have your stances. You have your positions. You have your pronouncements of what these people should be doing. But you will not lift a finger to do it. Jesus, this is the point of Jesus' yoke. He's saying, my yoke, when it is upon you, will cause real love, both for me and for the people in your life. The people that you see all around you. The yoke of Jesus. Jesus says, I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. Take my yoke upon you. You will find that it is light and that it fits perfectly. Why is the the yoke of Jesus so light and why does it fit so perfectly and comfortably? Because we're made to live that way. Jesus' teachings in the Bible is if if you actually commit to them, if you actually follow them, you'll find that it is like lockstep with how you were created you will find a wind in your sails because it's what you are meant to be like. It's how you were meant to love. It's how you were meant to live. And here's the other thing. Jesus is the person who's in the yoke with us, y'all. He's the one who carries the burden with us. He oftentimes, when we're so weak, we can't even stand up. He is the one carrying all the weight. He says, I am in that yoke with you and I will always be with you as you follow me. Okay, so that's the second thing. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Sloth says, I don't want to leave my own yoke, my own, my own ways of finding favor with God and with people in this world. I would rather do my own stuff. Finally, and lastly, Jesus says, and it's not directly in our passage, but Jesus says in lots of different places in the New Testament, he says to his disciples and to the rich young ruler and to other people, he says, follow me. This is what it's all about. This whole thing, this whole Christian religion we call it now, this whole church thing we call it now, this whole Bible thing, whatever. It's all about following Jesus. That is the center point. It's it's the, the thing about the Scriptures. And he says, follow me all the time. And sloth says, I don't want to leave my old nature, my old sinful nature. I just love so many things about 
the life that I created before I ever met Jesus. You know, it's kind of like uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I don't know if you've ever seen the Lord of the Rings trilogy. The Lord of the Rings story is about a ring. Well, it's actually a set of rings, but in the story, we mostly focus on one ring. And this ring has to be destroyed. And I think Jared Tolkien was uh, trying to get across a bit of an image of our old self, our old nature, our old sinful nature. That as long as you have the old sinful nature, as long as you keep the ring, you become something like Gollum. Right, my precious. (laughs) You're down in the cave, and things get darker and darker in your life if you if you hold on to the ring. But we find out in the movie, you've got to destroy the ring. The ring must be thrown into Mount Doom, and only then is there true freedom. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's like, follow me. You've got to let go of the ring. Your old sinful nature, those things, those habits, the stuff from your past. You've got to let it go if you really want to find the joy of following me. Here's how um, it's put by Paul, the apostle. He gets into this a lot in the letters in the New Testament. He says, Romans chapter 12, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 2 Corinthians 5, chapter uh, chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He or she is a new creation. The old has passed, the old nature, that's what he's talking about, has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says this I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen, 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 amen. It is a new, we are new creations in Christ when we have placed our faith in him. We have favor with God because of what Christ has done for us. But y'all, sloth does not want you to go there. Sloth is going to dig its claws into your life and pull you back into that old sinful nature and try to dump you there and hold you there. Here's another phrase for sloth. Sloth sabotages sanctification. Sloth sabotages sanctification. Sanctification is basically becoming more like Jesus. Sloth wants nothing more for than you to stop where you are right now and never become more like Jesus. In fact, it would love for you to revert. Now, and Paul also talks about this battle between moving into our identity as a new creation and feeling the tug and the pull of sloth back into our old sinful nature. And, he's, and, and he says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. He, he recognizes the battle at play. First, Peter does too, in First Peter chapter 2. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So sloth, or acedia, as it's also known in the Latin, turns out to be a spiritual vice after all, a vice marked by resistance to the transforming demands of God's love. Did you catch that? Sloth is a vice marked by resistance to the transforming demands of God's love. Why does the slothful one resist love? Because a love relationship marks an identity change and a corresponding commitment to daily transformation. Mm, boy. 
Y'all, I'm not going to lie to you. This is tough stuff. Daily transformation? Really? (laughs) This will be easy. The slothful, like the comforting thought of being saved by love, of being God's own, but balk at facing this discomfort of transformation, the slow putting to death of the old sinful nature, and the discipline it takes to sustain that transforming relationship of love over the long haul. Are we ready to give it up? You know, I don't even have to say it to you. I don't have to pick out specific things. You know what it is that's holding you from a closer walk with Jesus. Am I right? You know it. I could make a list, but I don't think it's necessary. Y'all, this is what we're called to. This is the real deal. But let me not leave you there. It's not all about our effort, is it? You've heard me say this before. It's about God's transforming work within us through Jesus Christ. So let's conclude with how do we find hope and healing in a sea of sloth? Sloth would have you not grow ever in your walk with Christ, in your Christian life. So here's the first thing. We must follow Jesus alone for favor and fulfillment. We must follow Jesus alone for favor and fulfillment. We must follow him in faith and find favor. He is the only possible way you can find true favor from God. To get the smile of God upon you, to get the delight of God upon you, it is only through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There's no good work you could do. There's no, there's no perfect way you could line up your life to make it happen. Favor only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. God's favor through Jesus Christ. And, and secondly, we follow Him in obedience to find fulfillment. This is the part of you got to actually do something. Daily transformation. If you really want to find fulfillment in life, Jesus has shown the path. Read Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Read them again. If you've read them before, read them again this week. Matthew chapter 5 through 7. It is Jesus' teaching on the joy of an obedient life. And it is true fulfillment for the human heart. Okay, and finally, stabilitas loci. That's the hope and healing. Stabilitas loci. It's Latin. And it means stay put. Your heart, and probably this has already happened in your life, when you get into something hard, when you get into a hard relationship, when you get into a hard church, you have a hard pastor, your desire is going to be to run. That's what... That's what Sloth wants. Those hard things in life, run from them. Stabilitas loci is stay put. Perhaps in our age, we are more prone than ever to expect too much of love as a feeling and too little of love as an ongoing choice and commitment. In our worship services and our marriages, we expect emotional highs that will carry us through life's difficult times when we would better expect engagement in daily disciplines to sustain us in our commitments. Acedia or sloth. By the way, this is a quote from a book called Glittering Vices. Acedia's greatest temptations are escapism and despair. When we don't feel like being godly or loving anymore, to abandon ship and give up, 
to drift away inwardly or outwardly towards something more comfortable or immediately comforting. A light breeze bends a feeble plant. A fantasy about a trip away drags off a person overcome with acedia, right? The desert fathers. Thus, its greatest remedy is to resist the urge to get out or give up and instead to stay the course, stick to one's commitments, and persevere. Y'all, pray for me. I need it more than any of you in here. To stick to itiveness is biblical. Who would have known? You hear it in all the little leadership seminars. But we can only do it through the power and the work and the love of Jesus Christ. Through faith and favor, we can finally find fulfillment in obedience. Let's pray. Lord God, sloth would have us put the brakes on, turn around, and abandon you, abandon the people in our lives, Lord. But we pray by the power of your Spirit, we pray by the power of Jesus at work in our lives, that we would stick to the course, that we would stay, that we would commit and that we would love, Lord, and that you would transform. You've promised that you will transform that you are going to remake us, renew us, revive us. We pray today that we would find that an experience that is true to our lives. Lord, do not leave us where we are. Move us to holiness. Move us to Christ-likeness. And we trust, we believe, we know that by your power at work within us, that you can do it. And Lord, I pray for anyone in this room, myself certainly included, that is willing to stick to the commitment, Lord, I pray that you would bring great joy. That you would show that even though it seems like my old sinful nature and my old sinful habits promise me so much fun and and goodness, Lord, I pray that you would show that your joy and your life is greater than any fleeting pleasure of our sinful habits, Lord, of, our, of the things that hold us from relationship with you. Lord, thank you that you have promised us that we can come to you, that we can put on your yoke, that we can experience your love, and that we can be in relationship with you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here, I guess the kiddos are still coming. Are you, David, you mind grabbing them? So here is our time that we wait for the kids to get in here. And I'll just kind of walk slowly. But all, honestly, this, this meal, the reason we do this every week is this is just such an awesome picture of the fact that Jesus is at work within us and he's called us into relationship with himself. When he told the disciples, I want you to take this meal and I want you to eat it, and when he was in the upper room with them, he was saying, look, I'm going to be so intimate with you that it's like taking me into your body. That's how closely I'm going to walk with you. That's how much, how involved I'm going to be in your life. That's how much fulfillment you're going to get from me. It's going to be like eating a meal. That's how good, he says, he says, eat of me, drink of me. He says, this is where your life is going to come and it's going to be sweet. It's going to be joyful. And that's kind of what we saw from our passage tonight. And as they trickle in, As Jesus 
stated when he was in the upper room with his disciples. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. I want you to keep eating this in remembrance of me. So I'll pass these loaves around. Um, and if you would, just pull off a little piece and then keep, keep it going down the row. And we also want to encourage you that if, if you have not received Jesus for your fulfillment, for your favor, for your life, that you would let these elements pass by this morning and just spend some time in prayer, spend some time reflecting upon what He is teaching you from His Word. But boy, if you know Jesus and you've received Him, eat with joy, drink with joy. This is for you.